0: We appreciate the presence of each of you this morning. And let me reiterate what was said a few moments ago. If you're visiting, we're delighted you're here. We're honored by your presence. We invite you to be back at every opportunity that you may have. And I just want to say before I begin the lesson, I appreciate the elders inviting me to be with you this morning in absence of Tony. So good to see you this morning. Jesus said, Fear none of the things which thou art about to suffer. Behold, Satan is about to cast some of you into prison that ye may be tried, and you shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I'll give thee the crown of life. Revelation 2, verse 10, Jesus, of course, addressing the seven churches of Asia, in particularly the church at Smyrna. Be faithful unto death, he says. Friends, the faithfulness under consideration here was required in light of severe persecution. As a matter of fact, in keeping with the context, he's saying, be thou faithful up to and including, if need be, a death of martyrdom for what you believe. And I'll give you the crown, the glory of which is beyond man's ability to describe. Somebody comes along and says, I'm so thankful we live in a day and time where there's absolutely no persecution for fidelity to Christ. Wait just a minute didn't Paul say in 2 Timothy 3 verse 12, yea, and all who would live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution? You see, friends, human need has not changed since the transgression of Adam. And the attitude of the world remains exactly the same toward the inerrant, unbending, unchanging truth of Jesus Christ. Is it possible that I've backed off just a bit, maybe to be more acceptable to the general populace. And maybe because of that, I don't suffer persecution. You know, that's worthy of thought, isn't it? As was given a moment, in, a moment ago in our reading, Matthew chapter 5, verse 11, the Sermon on the Mount, you remember, Jesus said, Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Oh, and I remember he also said over in Luke chapter six verse twenty-six, "Woe unto you when all men shall speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets." Severe persecution. As a matter of fact, if you advance three verses in that second chapter of Revelation where he's talking there to the church at Pergamus, you remember? You'll observe he commends their fidelity, even in the face of the death of Antipas. He said, my witness, my faithful one who was killed where Satan dwelleth. What's this? Right in the center of immorality, ungodliness, Antipas maintain his fidelity to the Lord. He continued to teach and preach and demonstrate in his daily conduct the eternal principles that make men free. Would you and I be an antipas? Can the Lord commend our lives? You know, in this day and age of clamor for change, friends, in the religious world, we need to be faithful to the word of God. And I think sometimes people have difficulty with this. And the old question arises that should never be voiced by a faithful child of God, and it goes something like this. If this person over here differs from this other person in what God's Word says, if this preacher over here differs from what this other preacher says in the Word of God, how do I know what is right? How do I know which way to go? Friend, every word of God is tried or pure. He is a shield unto them who put their trust in him. Have thou not unto his word, lest he reprove thee, and thou be found a liar. Proverbs 30, verses 5 and 6. Not not only is every word of God tried, but every word of God is written. Uh, You're familiar with that, 2 Timothy 2, 16 and 17, or rather 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Paul said all scripture, every scripture given by inspiration of God. Inspiration, sure. That's literally breathed of God. It is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. You name it, it has it. That the man of God may be perfect. That's complete. Thruly furnished. That's totally, completely, thoroughly. Furnished unto some. The goodly portion. Most. Almost all. No, no. Every good work. Now that's remarkable. And these were more noble than those in Thessalonica. These who? These Bereans, Acts 17, verse 11, in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and they searched the scriptures daily whether these things were so. What are you saying? Friends, the truth says the same thing to you as it says to me. Oh, and truth runs in parallel lines, never overlaps. One point of truth in this area is in perfect harmony with another principle of truth in that area. You see, truth never contradicts itself. And marvelously enough, if you will read your Bible regularly, get a good general working knowledge of its basic instruction from Genesis to Revelation, and friend, that's not an impossibility at all. When error is taught, it sticks out like a sore thumb. You know instantly that that's not right. Now, you may not know immediately the verse or verses with which to refute it, You're going to have to do maybe some research and studying to obviously refute these things that may be erroneous in nature, but you know it's error. Why? Because it's out of tenor with truth. Truth, the eternal principle that makes men free. It's all written down. You know, didn't Paul say, whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge and the mystery of Christ, Ephesians 3, verse 4. So then I need to study this book, right? Uh, Didn't Paul say something like that in 2 Timothy 2.15? You're familiar with that. You know, the American Standard Version says give diligence. Uh, That is, that's the idea involved, that is, in putting everything you got into it. Uh, You see, comparing passages with doing research to a particular subject, we understand about studying tests for school, we understand about that. But you see, the idea here is putting everything you got into it. Paul said to Timothy, you remember, give heed to, te- to reading, to teaching, to exhortation. He said, neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by the prophecy and the laying hands of the presbytery. Give thyself wholly to these things, that thy progress may be made manifest unto all. Take heed unto thyself and to thy teaching. He said, continue in these things, for in so doing thou shalt save both thyself and them that hear thee. 1 Timothy 4, 13 through 16. My commitment to the Lord is vital. Right. I need not be deceived. I need to check these things out that I hear in sermons and Bible classes according to what God Almighty had to say about it. One of our problems today, and I think if we all think about this in a serious manner, we would agree with this. A few years ago, not too many years ago, you ask a member of the body of Christ a biblical question, he or she give you book, chapter, and verse, known as Walking Bibles. Friends, I don't think we find that to be the case near as much today. Somebody says, yeah, but we live in a different time. I mean, we live in a, in a busy time. It's a hurry-scurry age. All of us have so much going on. I mean, there's just not enough time in the day. to. All of us have 24 hours a day, 168 hours every week. That's all we're going to ever have on this old earth. We need to get back to this book. Didn't Paul say, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing or handling aright the word of truth? Marvelous. Marvelous indeed. And that's important. Didn't Peter say, If any man speak, let him speak at the oracles of God? 1 Peter 4, verse 11. Speak according to this word? Right. You know, it's interesting that in the Old Testament, God spoke, spoke through Hosea the prophet, you remember, in Hosea 4, verse 6. He said, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Lord, my people, my people are destroyed for lack of, of knowledge. Uh, well, someone says, wait a minute, you know, there wasn't accessible the readings and, and the writings and the parchments we have today, of course. And, and, they, of course, they read them at least three times at the major feasts and more frequently than that on occasion. And, and, and so maybe the people really couldn't know that wasn't a problem. That wasn't a problem. God has always provided adequately for the well-being of his people, spiritually speaking. Oh, and every other way. Oh, but especially in their relationship to him. You see, the people were at fault. In Isaiah 30, verse 10, you remember, actually in verse 9, where he's talking, of course, about a rebellious people, talking about a lying people, a people that would not hear the law of the Lord as recorded there in verse 10. He said, in Isaiah chapter 30, verse 10, prophesy not unto us right things. Prophesy unto us smooth things. Prophesy unto us deceits. Is there some of that going on in the church today? Are there congregations that are allowing men to stand in pulpits who do not understand that commitment to the Lord is vital, who do not understand the importance, the significance of only preaching a thus saith the Lord? Friends, unfortunately, these things are happening in many areas today. But the point I want to make here is this. When it comes to salvation, It doesn't matter how good a man is or how he may favor you or how marvelous he may be. I mean, in human relations, that's all well and good. And we're thankful to God for people who are kind and helpful and neighborly and honest. But that won't save you. No, it's only the truth that makes men free, John 8, 32. Someone comes along and says, you're just being narrow-minded. Friends, God's word is narrow. I need to be just as narrow as his word. Didn't Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, 13, and 14, that there's a narrow way, a straight gate? Sure, entering at the straight gate. For wide is the gate, and broad the way that leadeth unto destruction, and many there be that go in thereat. Oh, but straight the gate, narrow the way that leadeth unto life everlasting, and few there be that find it. You remember. In that same chapter, if you drop down to verse 21, Matthew 7, he said, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he which doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Many will come unto me in that day and say, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? Have we not cast out demons? And in thy name done many mighty wonderful works? Then I will profess unto them, Depart from me, ye workers of iniquity. I never knew you. Whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I liken him to wise man, build his house upon the rock. Oh, the rains descended, the floods came, the winds blew, beat upon that house, and it fell not. Why? For it was found upon the rock. Oh, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not, I liken him to a foolish man built his house upon the sand. The rains descended, the floods came, the winds blew, beat upon that house, and great was the fall thereof. Someone says, wait just a minute. What's the difference in these two? They both heard the word of the Lord, right. No question. Uh, they both were, uh, saw the need of building character houses. There's no question about that. Absolutely. They both were sufficiently religious and diligent to build. The house of the one stood. The house of the other fell. The difference? The one did what the Lord said, do it, and the way the Lord said, do it. The other one did something else. Friend, it doesn't matter what else it is you're doing. If you're not doing that which is prescribed in divine revelation to the salvation of your soul, if you're not basing your faith upon a thus saith the Lord... You're building on the sand. Someone says you're just being legalistic. On the contrary, friends, the last will and testament of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is not a legal system at all. You see, it's simple instruction by which a man or woman made in the image and likeness of God ought to have been living in the first place. Oh, now the law of Moses, that was a legal system. No question about it. I mean, there were things that there were services and arrangements for offerings and sacrifices and meetings and, and, and legalistic. You do this, 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 and this, in this, 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 and this order, and you'll please God. That's not the New Testament. It's instruction. It's instruction. And as Peter said, Second Peter 3.18, But grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And friends, if you're 100 years old and you've been a child of God for 80 or more years, there's plenty of room for growth. You're still going to make a lot of mistakes. Oh, but the corrections here and the heart is set upon the accomplishment of His will. It's not a legalistic arrangement at all. Friends, He simply wants me to follow His instruction so I can, my life, be fulfilled, happiness and joy in abundance. Oh, wait a minute. Don't misunderstand. That does not make me immune to the physical debilities and trials and tribulations that we see all around us and problems that frequently occur and we pray about them every day and many times they happen to our friends and oftentimes our families are touched. Mm, no, we're subject to all these physical changes just like anyone else. But I remember the comforting words of Paul. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, beginning, For which cause we faint not, but though the outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For this light affliction which is built for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Now watch what he says. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. Oh, for the things which are seen, they're temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. For we know that if this earthly house of our tabernacle will dissolve, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Through chapter 5 at verse 1. Where then do I need to place the emphasis on those things that have to do with my eternal well-being? Those things that are everlasting. And in doing so, tribulation, hardship, and persecution may come. In Isaiah chapter 48, verse 10, he said, I have tried thee, but not of silver. I have chosen thee in the furnace of affliction and But you know, friends, being faithful to the word of God, I need to speak as the oracles of God direct. I need to examine what I hear others say when they speak in light of God's word. You see, that's the true measure or guide that we have. That's it. That's all we have. The writer of Hebrews says that there's power in the word. He says the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing asunder of soul and of spirit and of the joints and marrow and is to serve the thoughts and intents of the heart. Marvelous indeed. And it's a living word. Someone says, well, I'm aware of the problems that you mentioned in the Old Testament. In Isaiah's statement, Isaiah chapter 30, verse 10, prophesy unto us smooth things, <clears throat> prophesy unto us deceits. Friends, as we mentioned, it's still going on today. But Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, I charge thee, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. And he goes further. He says, for the time will come. Well, they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears and shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto Fables. But he said, Watch thou in all things, endure affliction. Do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry from now ready to be offered. He said, I finished the course, I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but to all them that love his appearing. Friends, either the sentence of death had been passed, or Paul expected it in the immediate future. Preach the word, he says. Be faithful. What would you say? Reprove, rebuke, exhort. You see, we need that. Paul needed that. He knew the possibility of apostasy. He knew the possibility that a Christian could fall away. And notice he said, in season and out of season. Oh, that's preach it when they'll hear it, and when they won't, when they like it, when they don't. Preach it. Don't change it. Don't change it. Somebody comes along and says, what about Acts chapter 20, verse 27? Yes, exactly right. Acts 20, 27, remember the apostles, they said, preach the whole counsel of God. That's the whole counsel. That's it. You see, not just certain parts of it, not just what people wanted to hear, not that just what was popular were to preach the word and be faithful in doing so. That's it. That's it. But, you know, not only are we to be faithful to the word, We're to be faithful in our service to the Lord. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 45, beginning, Who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his Lord hath made ruler over his household, to give them meat in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. But you know, friends, there's an impossibility here, and there's a choice that must be made. Back to the Sermon on the Mount, you recall Jesus in Matthew 6, verse 24 said, No man can serve two masters. He'll either hate the one and love the other, or he'll hold to the one and despise the other. He said, You probably can't. It's almost impossible. No, it can't be done. You cannot serve God and mammon. can't be done. God commands total commitment. And one of our problems today is many people are totally committed, but in the wrong direction. We may get too involved in too many things if we aren't careful. And, friends, there's nothing wrong with being involved. God's people are involved and productive, and that's great. And numerous passages can be given on this subject. Oh, but I remember in Ecclesiastes, Solomon, you remember, he described what mankind holds of highest value, wealth, worldly wisdom, power, pleasure, I mean, whatever his eye desired, he will held it not from himself. He said it's like hugging the wind. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. And he uses the term vexation of spirit. And listen to him as he concludes in that 13th verse of that 12th chapter. Fear God. Keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. Now, you notice that little word duty is in italics, meaning it's not in the original text. What's this? Fear God. Keep his commandments, for this is the whole of man. Friend, if you miss that, you don't know where you came from, where you're going, or what you're doing here in the first place. You see, it's amazing that when I think about my purpose in life, when you stop and think about it in a practical way, I didn't bring anything with me, not going to take anything when I go. It was here when I arrived, and it belongs to the Almighty God whose steward you are, before whom you will give an account. And that brings me to the last part of my sermon this morning, and it's talking about faithfulness in stewardship. Being faithful stewards of that which the Lord has given us. Friends, that's so important. Paul made a statement in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 2, you remember, Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. You know, the faithful steward does what? He he seeks to improve, to implement, to increase his talents. Now, I think we understand that from Matthew chapter 25, which has three sections, by the way, when you think about it. The parable of the ten virgins, the parable of the talents, and then, of course, the final judgment scene, that separation between the sheep and the goats. But back up to that first part of that chapter, Ten virgins, five of whom were wise and five were foolish. The five, of course, carried adequate fuel for their lamps. Now the bridegroom delayed his coming. Now if everything had turned out just as I had anticipated, I'd be just fine. If he'd gotten here about dusk, we were just trimming our lamps and lighting up. But he didn't. He tarried until midnight. And then the cry arose, Behold, the bridegroom cometh. These ten virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. But the lamps of the foolish were going out. And they said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are going out. The wise wisely responded, "Peradventure there be not enough for us and thee. Go rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. And you know the story. While they were gone away, the bridegroom came and entered in. Later there was no room for these foolish virgins. They knocked on the door. He said, Depart. Depart. I know not who you are. And then he went right into the parable of the talents. He said, It is as when. Oh, a man about to take a journey called unto himself his servants delivering unto them his goods. To the one man he gave five talents, to another man two, and to another man one. And then he took his journey. Oh, now the five-talent man, of course, talent here being a piece of money in the scripture, but a five-talent man went out and gained another five. Two-talent man did likewise, went out and gained another two. One-talent man wasn't a bad fellow, didn't embe- embezzle his Lord's money, but but he 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 laid it up, He he hid it, he kept it safe after a long time, the Lord of these servants returned. What's the basic point of this parable? Oh, the unexpected nature of his return and stewardship. Five-talent man came in. Lord, thou delivered unto me five talents, and went out and gained another five. Lord said, well done. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord that is prepared for you. Well done. Two talent men came in. Lord, you delivered somebody two talents and went out and gained another two. The Lord said, wait a minute, how come you gained five like that other fella? No, 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 no. He didn't say that. You see, that's a recognition, friends, an understanding that each person has different talents, differing degrees of ability. Why, certainly. Lord, you gave me two talents, went out and gained another two. Well done. Well done. One talent man came in. He expressed his opinion about the matter very positively. Nothing wrong with that. He said, I knew thee that thou art a hard man. You gather where you haven't scattered, reap where you haven't sown. And I was afraid and I hid thy money and lo, thou hast thine own. Someone says, isn't that wonderful? Doesn't that sound great? You remember what the Lord called him? You wicked and slothful servant. They bound him hand and foot and cast him into outer darkness. He's lost. He's lost. Someone says, well, why? Why? What's he done? Nothing. Nothing. So far as I know, he's an honest man, pretty good fellow. If he's married, he's probably a pretty good husband. If he has children, he's probably a pretty good father. This fellow's just caught up in a lot of things, but he's a good fella. Well, someone says if he hadn't done anything, why are you going to bind him hand and foot and cast him in outer darkness? That's it. You got it. One of the greatest mistakes that a child of God can make is to do nothing when something vitally needs to be done. You see, friends, the mission of the church, we need to remember, was not given to evangelists. The mission of the church was given to Christians, all of whom are evangelists, heralds of truth, and friends by our lives. We demonstrate its value and gain an audience with our neighbor. That's what it's all about. Are you aware that you and I are some people's whole concept of the church? Those out in the world who know me judge the whole church simply by what they see in my life. Friends, that's a sobering thought to me. I need to be very careful of my speech, my conduct, my influence. Would you say, Lord, Matthew 5:16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. Friend, only those who are faithful unto death will receive, indeed receive that crown of life, that eternal home in heaven. What is your condition this morning? Are you here this morning outside of Christ? You'll not find a more opportune time than right now to put him on in baptism. If you believe that he's the son of God, you're willing to repent of your past sins, to confess his name before men, and then following his instruction to be buried with him in that watery grave of baptism, raised to walk a new creature. If you're here this morning and you've once done that but you've wandered away, friend, you need to be restored, and you can be restored, through repentance, confession, and prayer. If we can assist you in any way, why not come? As together we stand in. sing.